<laughs> and they called him Littlefoot. Here I am. All that remained of his herd was his mother, grandmother, and his grandfather. He knew them by sight, by scent, and by their love. He knew they would be together always. Now, you be careful, my little foot. Hello and welcome to Rose Tinted Review, the show where every week we pick something that we're feeling nostalgic for. We then revisit and review it to find out if our hindsight is truly 2020 or if we've just been wearing rose tinted glasses. I am your host, Michael Jerbez, and I'm joined as always by my good friend and co-host, Connor O'Kane. <clears throat> yep, yep, yep. Yep, yep, yep. Very nice. There we go. Yes. This week's episode, I would be very surprised if you could pick it from that. Uh, not so many, you know, bonus points if you just picked it from the title of the episode. We are reviewing the 1988 animated kids flick, The Land Before Time. God, I hope there are people out there just closing their eyes and clicking <laughs> on episodes at random and trying to guess what the episode is by the whatever fucking non sequitur. You've got like five, ten seconds max to, to guess. You have whatever the time it takes for us to laugh at our own joke and then <laughs> and then go, well, well, yeah, this week's episode, of course, is. And then, you know. Yeah, that's what ding, you got. Ding, ding, ding. Did you get it? I, I, I prefer the fantasy of me imagining the Roast Interview Review audience member being like on their like fifth episode in a row and, you know, it's just on autoplay. And they're like, <laughs> oh, what's it going to be next? I don't know. I'm not yeah, even going to look. Yeah. I'm like so invested. <laughs> yeah, I like to look further down that 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 dark timeline to where they're like caked, crusted into whatever couch or beanbag <laughs> they're sitting in, completely immobile, just like, oh, the nostalgia. Too much nostalgia that they weren't able to create any new nostalgia because they cocooned themselves. Exactly. In some sort of like... I'm thinking a cross between like aliens and like the fly or something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know what? I think I feel like this move this week's movie is just so uh sweet and like wholesome and innocent that we're preemptively we're front loading this episode with a bunch of lurid, weird body <laughs> horror shit that won't actually be of any, you know, service to the rest of the episode. Sure, sure. But we'll, we'll get, get into it, it because I don't see this movie as sweet and wholesome as much as uh, horrifically traumatic to a, a very young Michael viewing it, really as a, as a little kid. Yeah, man. Ah, oh, man. Well, I'm excited to talk about the the nostalgia around this movie. Uh, our our own um, nostalgias around this movie uh, because this was like, holy shit, man! This was a huge, huge part of my childhood. Nice. All right, let's get through the obligatory credits. Of course, the film is directed by Don Bluth. Uh, produced by Spielberg and Lucas. It's one of the, the those emblem animations. That's right. Uh, the poster was like, from the people who brought you an American tale, because uh, that was basically the only one they'd done before that, I think. An orphaned brontosaurus teams up with other young dinosaurs in order to reunite with their families in a valley. That's so bare bones of a description. A valley? It's the Great Valley. What are you talking about? What's a brontosaurus? He's a long neck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get yeah, the yeah. words right. And of course, story by Tony Gillis and Judy Friedberg. Screenplay by Stu Krager. The film stars Gabriel Damon as Littlefoot, Helen Shaver as Littlefoot's mother, Candace Hudson as Sarah, Judith Barsi as Ducky. Will Ryan as Petrie and Pat Hingle as the narrator. Oh, that voice. Oh, that gravelly voice. He's also yeah. uh, credited as Rooter. I'm guessing that he's the, um, yeah, the old he's man the, dinosaur the old, that Littlefoot exactly. finds right after tragic events. Correct. Uh, so, yeah, you've got a lot of nostalgia for this movie. I've got a lot of nostalgia for this movie as well, but it's kind of t- tainted. It's not like a good nostalgia. It's like a okay, okay. holy shit. This movie is. I think this movie's fucking brutal. Like for yeah, a younger right. audience, it's 1988, so I guess it's in that era of like let's scare kids with our like kids kids flicks yeah. and stuff. They weren't afraid to do that. Okay, this is interesting because 
I have, uh, when I say I have a shitload of nostalgia for this movie, I have a shitload of nostalgia for this franchise. Uh, This entry in the franchise is probably the one I watched the least. I still watched it a dozen or so times, but I watched the sequels, the straight-to-VHS musical-like sequels. Yep, yep. Infinitely more times uh, than I watched this as a kid. And watching this as an adult... I can see why. I can see why I watched the sequels more than this. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't a conscious effort, but it's like, of course, as a little kid, you're going to yeah. prefer like the, it's a completely different tone. All the rest of the sequels, it's it's bonkers. I didn't they think you were going to- They got musical numbers. They got wacky comic relief bad guys. Yeah. They got more T-Rexes. They got a baby T-Rex. Oh my God. I uh, Yeah, I spent so much more time with the sequels. And I think like- uh, what I remember loving about the sequel so much is the dynamic between all of the little dinosaurs. We don't really get that until like, you know, three quarters of the way through this movie. The, the yeah. characters don't really meet each other until halfway through and they're kind of, you know, at odds. It's like it's like watching the, the first Avengers movie. You want them to get on with being the Avengers. I, I skipped right to Age of Ultron, okay. <laughs> you know, so to speak. I understand that uh, entirely because I do feel that way about superhero stories where I'm like, I don't want the origin of the superhero anymore. Like, I don't want to go yeah. back and rewatch that over and over. I want to see where they go once they've established their superheroisms. But mm-hmm. I'm the opposite here. I'm at the same time as me saying that first one is sort of like traumatically scarring as a, as a little child to watch it and not mm. necessarily one that I enjoyed a lot. I, I watched it many times. I'm still of the the snobby camp of even as a small child, I knew that the sequels weren't very good. Right when I, okay. when I saw them, I think I only saw like the fir- like two, three, and maybe four. Right, uh, and two didn't rub me up the wrong way too much. But yeah, it's it's crazy when you look at the the voice acting credits for all these roles. None of the original cast came back for the sequel. Yeah, sure. A uh, couple of. Like the person who plays Littlefoot, like did it for two, three, and four. Uh, then it changes again for five. But then, like you mentioned, five and thirteen and the TV series, we have a different. We have two voice credits for Littlefoot because there's a singing voice credit for Littlefoot. And yeah, that's like the most bafflingly weird thing to think of just from watching this first movie. That you're like, wait, he what? He he sings. He sings like Simba, who just can't wait to be king or something. <laughs> like that yeah, doesn't. Yeah, yeah. It feels such but, at at odds with the original. I I watched. I watched. I kept up with the series up until the sixth entry, the Secret of Saurus Rock, uh, and I really liked the the series. I think I only probably start uh, stopped watching them because I kind of grew out of. You know that that I was watching other stuff at that mm, point. Yeah. Uh, maybe the video store that I was going to stopped getting the the sequels. I don't know. Maybe. Um, I just remember Secret of Saurus Rock being like the last one that I I picked up from the the video store at the time. And it's funny you you mentioned the uh, the like Simba Lion King kind of comparison. And I think that's like that that's what I thought of while watching this was like the mum dying and stuff. Yeah. In this, it's true. a little it's a little bit like. You know that kind of totally. You know, yeah, you're right. Holding I- just, just like forcing a kid's face into like, you know, the the concept of mortality and their own mortality and the the you know the the uh, ephemeral nature of their own <laughs> fucking parents. They're like, look at it, <laughs> you know. But I feel like in in Lion King, it's far more, uh, I don't know, heartbreaking and and stuff. Here, it's like kind of vague. It feels kind of almost like allegorical. Sure, sure, I, I get that. Mother! Mother? Oh, please get up. I'm not sure I can, Littlefoot. Yes, you can. Get up. Dear sweet Littlefoot, do you remember? Way to the Great Valley. I guess so. But why do I have to know you're gonna be with me? I'll be with you. Even if you can't see me. What do you mean if I can't see you? I can always see you. Littlefoot, let your heart guide you. 
it whispers. So listen closely. Mother? Mother? I think as a child, I don't find it as vague. I think you're right today as me as an adult watching this because we talked about in the very first episode how much I like Mufasa and his characterization and all of that stuff that builds up this sense of who he is. So then when he yeah. dies, it is really impactful. Exactly. Here, and it still is as an adult, whereas here you're just kind of watching it and it's, you're, you're, you're detached from it. And I don't, I don't remember ever being really traumatized by anything in this movie. Okay, interesting. Uh, in Land Before Time. So yeah, no. We'll see. We'll see. Opening theory, I'm more of a wimp as a child than Connor is. <laughs> Let's see if that plays out. Yeah, my impression of this, of the first movie uh, as a kid was that, yeah, it's cool, I like it. It's got dinosaurs and it's got these characters that I really like, but I like the dynamic in the in the sequels more. Mm-hmm. And I think part of me understood that the first movie was like probably the more cinematic, more prestigious picture, but I just had more fun with the, the sequels. Yeah, sure, that's fair enough. I think today, going back and watching it, you're right that you have that disconnect uh, with with Littlefoot's mother dying compared to a Mufasa that still is successful today for adults. Mm. But I do remember, I think that it's hard to say because I was much younger when I saw The Lion King. I was in the cinema. I told that story. So I was like, you know, maybe three or something. I was maybe like four or five watching Land Before Time at Home on our recorded like VHS mm. or whatever. Yeah, I would have been about the same. I find... The whole, uh, not just Littlefoot's mother dying, but the the whole sort of vibe and atmosphere of the music is just like really fucking depressing and down and like tragic. Mm. That it's like yeah, super it sad. Cool soundtrack, yeah. It's super sad when Littlefoot's mother dies, but then it's like constantly him being reminded of how fucking lonely and alone he is after yeah, that. That whenever that sure. music kicks in, it's just like, oh man, they're not they're not giving us much. Uh, Levity from this. They're not giving us any, like, wacky antics between, like, you know, little dinosaur characters that's, like, fun and kooky. Mm. It lets you, like, sit in it for quite a while. And, uh, like, we mentioned that character that's also voiced by the narrator who has that wonderful, gravelly, old man voice. Mm -hmm. Littlefoot comes across this dinosaur just after it happens and he, like, you know, is questioning him and then he's like, oh, I understand, sure. But he doesn't really give him a lot to make him feel better about the situation. And then he just fucks off and leaves him alone again. Like, yeah, yeah. He kind of just says, like, yep, that's going to hurt for a while. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> and then similarly with the dynamic of all of the dinosaurs coming together and being a group, it's not like, okay, they're a group now. Cool. There's lots of conflicts and butting heads and difference of opinions that still like ostracize a little foot into this like, oh, I'm alone and I'm mm. even though I've got these new friends, they've left me again and I've been left again. And like it happens over and over and it's just like it's it's grueling. I remember it just being really Yeah, like one of those movies where I'm not like crying as a kid, I think, but I'm just mm. finding it as a real downer to watch the whole time. Yeah, sure. Okay. It's an interesting franchise that comes from this uh this place of like you said, the first one's very cinematic telling a story and then it takes them six years to make a sequel. But then after that, we've basically got a sequel every single year Mm. up until the 13th one, which is in 2007. So most of them are yearly or, or bi-yearly. There's a TV series that spans like, what was it? Like 20 episodes or something, 26 episodes. The TV series spans it airs just before the 13th movie, but then can, like it's set after the 13th movie and it continues on and ends in 2008. And then nearly 10 years later, in 2016, we get a 14th Land Before Time movie. What the fuck? <laughs> it's like it doesn't want to die. It's It's crazy that the franchise... Flips the, flips the switch so quickly for the second film of being like a bright, colourful, fun dinosaur movie for kids mm. and then sticks that that course the whole way through and, and peppers in some songs at times in there as well. Yeah. And and I say that the first one feels really brutal for a kid's movie because of, because of that, 
as a kid, I found it really, really depressing and, you know, sad to watch and, and, and tough to get mm. through. But because it's not one of those movies where you go, oh, this is a universal story. It's not a free willy where you go, oh, wow, this is like appropriate for children adult and adults. They're both mm-hmm. getting something from this story. It's compelling for both audiences without having to hide dirty jokes for the adults or have yeah. like a separate something. This, I don't think, has that separate something for the adults. It's a very, very child-focused, very simple, you know, story of learning to, you know, work together with people who are different than yourself. Yeah. And, you know, having hope and faith in in something. And it's really fucking brutal in that approach for children. But the adults aren't watching it going like, oh, fuck, the mum died. I'm crying now. It's like- no, that's just scarring for the kid, potentially. Yeah, yeah. The parent is, like, checking their watch going, ah, oh, god damn it. Yeah, like- which I, I don't think that that means that just because this is a kid's movie that is specifically designed for children, that makes it a bad, you know, animated movie or a bad kid's movie. No, no. It's it's one of those ones where it's, like, it's so sincere in that, uh, that approach and... I don't know. I think it's done in a way that's classy. It's not. It's um, aimed at children without treating children like fucking idiots. No, absolutely not. So it's not a you know it's not what the worst of the Mighty Ducks is or where back a dinosaur story is like. It's oh, not no. fucking stupid. And I said earlier that it feels kind of like allegorical and stuff. And as I was watching it, I was like, this feels like a like a um, a parable or something like a story that you tell kids. That's supposed to have some, you know, you know, greater meaning or or whatever. And just a, a quick flick through of the Wikipedia article, uh, I found a bit that mentions Don Bluth's membership in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints influenced the themes of the film. In an interview with Church News, he stated, "Everything I do is centered around the gospel. Even our films are, although the secular world would never realize it." So uh, he's a Mormon. Didn't know that. <laughs> that's cool. And a, uh, a Randy Astle states that Littlefoot can be read as a Christ figure because of uh, his special birth circumstances and position as a leader of his people. The journey to the Great Valley, which is also to the West, mirrors that of m- the Mormon pioneers who moved from fertile lands in the East to the arid and mountainous Great Basin. Astle concludes that Littlefoot is both a Joseph Smith, he sees a pillar of light and receives heavenly visitors, and a Brigham Young, he leads his followers across the plains. <laughs> it was Mormon propaganda the whole time. God what? damn it! God damn it! No, I don't. I don't think it is Mormon propaganda per se. But like, I don't know. As I was watching it, I was like, this feels a little uh, god bothery. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Uh, and I don't think I. I don't think I felt that way as a. I certainly didn't feel that way as a kid. No. And I don't think it's so like overt that it's like on the nose, a, a, cr- and- a creepy watch or, no, or no. anything. Like if you're not if you're not religiously inclined or whatever. Yeah, it was just that uh, kind of dumbed down thematically thing that made me go, is this, you know, it's meant to be. Uh, the kids will like Jesus better if, if he's, he's a dinosaur. If he's a little dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's how we thought convert him. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it is. No, I think you're right. The, the, the like, Littlefoot's mother speaking to him and stuff after her death reads much more similarly to a like you know it is like a, a literal ray of light it, yeah. it's it's very god like compared to you know it's not it's not um yeah Simba. exactly exactly like, exactly that's a that's it a little feels, bit different yeah yeah where lion king deliberately so feels more you know shakespearean and and, and rightfully so this feels more churchy and evidently rightfully so yeah which uh, is it's interesting because then it, they're very they're very for evolution in the story of dinosaurs, but they've still got like a uh, like a a churchy message to it. Well, look, I don't know the first thing about Mormons or, or what they believe or what they think of evolution and stuff, so I, I can't comment on that. Yeah, yeah. Littlefoot, quickly, come here. Look up there, a tree star is very special. (laughs) A tree. 
very special. And it'll help you grow strong. Where we are going, there are so many of these leaves. Come along. I, I agree with you with the, the classiness. It's it's definitely absolutely not, you know, speaking down to kids. And regardless of whether you read that, like, religious method message into it, it is sort of a message that these kids are getting from it of, like, these are the hardships of life. And yeah, you, when you do come across your first, you know, bad, rough, rough time as a kid, the kid will be able to go, oh, this is like when Littlefoot had to get to the Great Valley or whatever, you know, sort of little story. Yeah. Yeah. A similarity that they find from it. And it's like, yeah, that's not, not a bad thing to like actually prepare kids for a, a tougher thing than your, you know, sugar-coated sort of Disney Pixar-ish Yeah, yeah. And thing. I mean, like the, the we've talked about movies um, previously having like some kind of thing that, that, you know, indicates to kids like, hey, life is hard and, you know, the universe is uncaring and can at times be very unfair I think this movie does a good job of like illustrating that, but also having a line where, I mean, again, with Ruta saying like, uh, look, it's, you know, it's not your fault. It's not your mother's fault. It's not anybody's fault. Like, it's just life. The great circle of life has begun. But you see, not all of us arrive together at the end. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's a harsh, harsh truth, but one that's necessary to grasp. And I think that idea that it's nobody's fault. And that you do kind of have to push through those feelings of resentment as though, you know, mm, why yeah. me? It's like, why not? Yeah, Could totally. be anybody. doesn't matter. Exactly. It's unfair in the way that when the big earthquake happens or the earth shake, that they say, which mm. I like, yeah, it splits up the families, you know, unevenly and whatnot. But then also I find it quite unfair that the, the, the narrator lies to us in, in a way. At the beginning, when Littlefoot's born and it's talking about him seeing the three faces of his grandparents and his mother and he's like, and and they'd always be with him forever. And you're like, well, God damn it. And then, yeah, I, I, I understand that the after the mother's death, it is that, oh, she'll always be with you. He says, sort of yeah, thing. like, you'll always miss her, but she'll always be with you. As long as you remember the things she taught you, in a way, you'll never be apart. You're still a part of each other. But that sounds like-, like. My tummy hurts. And he's like, yep, that too. That'll go away with time. <laughs> Bye. And then again, it's like, yeah, that's true. It's true. But I feel like the narrator is monkey pouring us with that explanation <laughs> of like, and they'll always be together forever until well, no, 20 no, no, minutes no, later. Po- he's he's, he's uh, perhaps the lead but monkey pawing would be like you want to be with your parents do you kid like now they'll be with you forever and literally like putting little foot's like parents brains into little foot's head so he can never be alone with <laughs> his own thoughts or something like something ironic and cruel that would be monkey pawing yeah sure root is just telling it like it is yeah besides the movie feeling in general quite sad and lonely because of the fact that Littlefoot's mother die- dies and then he has to do the whole trip alone and stuff and yeah, that's not fair. And the music is is quite sad and, you know, a f- a f- very emotionally effect- affecting. It's also quite traumatising as a little kid to watch when you're watching all of these little kids, little baby dinosaurs in danger from all the sharp tooths fucking snapping yeah. at them and stuff, like right out of them, snapping out of the egg, uh, like some of them. And and, yeah. the, and the parents having to like protect them and stuff. So it it definitely I found it effective. It being me watching it as this little kid, being fairly helpless, being entirely reliant on your parents, showing you this world that's even like like you know meaner and and more dangerous mm. than your own world, mm. and then being like, yeah, the parents are even more important to to protect the kids in this world, and now they're lo- now they're losing the parents. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. like a one two punch. It's pretty. Pretty intense. Yeah, you're right. It does kind of, and I think the art does a good job of communicating that that sense of like isolation and loneliness and and stuff, especially earlier on. And then even as it picks up more friends along the way, you you still feel like the odds are stacked against them. Yeah, yeah. Especially as a kid, mm. when like you haven't probably seen enough movies to go, you know, <laughs> <laughs> are they going to make it or not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Yeah, who knows? Littlefoot. Come, Sarah. Three horns never play with long necks. Littlefoot. Three horns never play with long necks. I like the approach to a lot of the language and sort of naming conventions of the story. I think it fits really well in to one, the thematic story of we don't know who the hell this narrator is and we're going to have talking dinosaurs anyway. So instead of the narrator telling us the dinosaurs' names based on as we know them, he's Mm. going to tell us them based on the way that the dinosaurs refer to one another as, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. I like that idea of let's not just call them by their names, let's come up with, yeah, there's flat-teethed dinosaurs that eat leaves and then there's sharp-teethed dinosaurs and they eat the dinosaurs that eat the leaves we have all of those different names for you know three horns long necks flappers of flyers (laughs) not flappers flappers came about a little while later a little while later (laughs) Um, big mouth all of those things is good changing little things like earthquake to earth shake is like yeah that's what some what would a dinosaur call this thing if they're not traditionally educated. Yeah, They sure. wouldn't call it a quake. They would say, oh, the ground shook. Yeah, it's a shake. It's an yeah, earth shake. Yeah. yeah, earth shake, yeah. I like that. And it's for an audience for children, it's it's sort of universally understandable regardless of whether or not those kids have learned about the dinosaurs' names yet in, 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 in you know, whatever. They've watched definitely. Jurassic Park yet either. It, yeah, it's given definitely. Them- it, almost, it, it almost has a... Uh, uh, I was seeing similar naming conventions in like Rugrats around the same time. Yeah, yeah, sure. They're like they're like little babies and shit. So they 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 hear their parents refer to something, and them trying to say like that word back, they always fuck it up. And that yeah. was always really funny. That's really and, cute. And charming. I like that. There was an episode where they they were they were there was uh, they were like obsessed with the story of Pinocchio, but they kept calling him Pistachio. <laughs> it's just funny. Yeah. So the movie's taking a stance on like let's give these little children watching this a a nice life lesson that's going to traumatize them potentially to prepare them for the hardships of real life but we're not going to bother educating them on like correct naming things of these historical beings cuz no fuck that but also like i don't know um, it makes sense, like, the, the the names that we've got for dinosaurs are, like, you know, scientists of Yes, of yeah, 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 totally. Put those names together. Like, the dinosaurs weren't going around going, hey, it's a brontosaurus, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it makes sense that, like, I don't know, you would just, yeah, call them long neck, big mouth, fat ass. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there are some weird-looking dinosaurs out there, man. I wonder if the sequels got into, like, real mean territory. <laughs> Well, they sort of get into mean territory like partway into the movie. They don't really establish that they start calling Littlefoot like flathead derogatory. <laughs> and it's yeah, like, oh, yeah, we've never, right. we haven't learned that, you know, other dinosaurs that don't like not long necks like to call them slurs of flathead instead of long neck. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess, I guess that exists. Speaking of those uh, character designs, you know, having long necks and fat heads and what, what, what have you. <laughs> They're really good. They still hold up. They look great. And yeah, the fact yeah. that, like, I, I was just having a quick glance at um, the, what, 14th movie from, from 2016. Yeah. Uh, same character designs have mm. not changed a, an inch. That's fucking timeless, baby. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I do really like how they all look and, and the animation style and everything. Uh, mm. it, it doesn't feel as, I don't know, weirdly like uh, We're Back at Dinosaur Story doesn't quite know what it's going for or it doesn't like no. or, or it's trying to intim- impersonate a Disney aesthetic or something. This doesn't feel like it's needing to try and do something or it's aiming for a certain thing and not hitting it. It's just real classy. Yeah. Ni- really nicely detailed backgrounds, simple designed, very, you know, silhouette obvious uh, to distinguish one another dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. which is really neat. The only yep. thing I found like a little bit sort of confusing a bit with the animation style was the way that the dinosaurs are colored to like, you know, implied like time of day and lighting conditions. Like Littlefoot will just straight up be purple and then he'll be yellow. Yeah, yeah. That's that's something that in the sequels becomes far more like consistent, mm. but 
you know, at the cost of yeah, like not any looking kind of as nice cinematic kind <laughs> yeah. of yeah aspirations that it might have had. Yeah, that is a little a little strange. It all, it reminds me of like in The Simpsons where characters' hairs change color. Like <laughs> yeah, like it's a mistake, sort of thing. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I I kind of like that. I like the um. It's still gorgeous, but there's a sense that it was animated by people. Yeah, yeah, know, totally. Uh, rough around the edges in a in a really lovely way. And I think they managed to like where it, where it counts. The animation is fucking gorgeous and communicates the sense of scale and. Uh, the like the perspective stuff is great. The, yeah, the, there's man. that one shot where Littlefoot's mother like turns around and it goes from like her, her head way in the fucking background to in the foreground. Yeah, going right up close to to Littlefoot talking to him and stuff. That shit is beautiful. Really, really impressive. I totally didn't remember that. From this has probably been maybe one of the longest like gaps in seeing a movie that I have that we've done mm. on the podcast. Like I probably haven't watched this movie for nearly like twenty years. Yeah, I would say I'm so. Saying- it was like a recorded to VHS copy, so you probably probably weren't being able to appreciate the animation that well mm. anyway for the quality that it was. But when Littlefoot's mother is like fighting the sharp tooth and mm. like swinging oh. its tail and hitting yeah. him and stuff, it's like whoa, that is phenomenally yeah. It, not just the not just the the perspective of it, but also the sense of mass and. Uh, mm. Like yeah, like actual weight behind that. The, the amount of time it takes to wind up that swing and the yeah. follow through of it is just like incredible. I, I was watching. I was like, this is like watching a fucking Dark Souls boss, dude. <laughs> roll, roll. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's it's super super cool. Yeah, I'd say that that's the standout. The really long tail and the really long neck, mm. and then being able to like speed up and slow down and shift its weight and stuff is is really, really cool. It's a real feat, yeah. And all the detail that goes into animating all the, like, bits of rock and stuff mm. crumbling and rising up and breaking and, oh, it's, it's awesome. And same with, like, water stuff when they're playing around in, like, the, the, the swamp mm. with the bubbles yeah. and stuff. All that time and effort. Yeah, beautifully animated but in a way that's... For the most part of the movie, the locations aren't beautiful. They're these like really these desolate, yeah, barren lands that are really like they're not nice to look at. They don't make you feel good to look at it. It, it really adds on to that oppressive like tone of the music and stuff. Is these yeah these kids that are going hungry and there's like you know nothing but rocks and sharp brambly bushes and things uh, for for the longest time. But then when we do get to the Great Valley and we get to see some greenery, it's like it's it is gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's another thing that just appealed to me more as a kid is the sequels, uh, for the most part, set in the Great Valley. They're far more colourful. Yeah, yeah. You know, probably flatter by comparison, but um, the spectrum of colour that they occupy is just generally brighter. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the only not so well animated or... That doesn't doesn't hold up as well is there's there's like one shot where Littlefoot is trying to get trying to get Petrie off of his head and he's like running and it's okay. a, like a it's like a perspective shot of uh, we get like a front and a back angle of like the back of their head like bobbing up and down as they run and there's like a first person oh, sort of perspective yeah. looking yeah uh, yeah 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 like background moving towards them and. However, they've done that effect, like, you know, they've animated two different plates and they're trying to composite both plates mm-hmm. onto one another. The quality mm. drops massively. It's really grainy and, like, they don't... Mm. There's this really weird pronounced outline around their characters compared yeah, to... Yeah, there's a couple of, couple of shots like that. There's one where yeah. Sarah is, like, laying down in front of a waterfall and it's, like, you can see the, the cell kind of on top of the background. Yeah, yeah. But for the most part, it's yeah, it's really nice. There's this yeah. similar things that you see in lots and, of. I mean, do you do you give it a pass? Like, I I kind of give it a pass. Like, given that it's you know hand drawn animation, uh, lovingly rendered in the late eighties. Like, I don't know. Probably, I don't. I I can't think of anything comparable that doesn't have similarly similarly rough edges from that time period. But I'm not thinking that hard. I think that there is, I think if we go back to things that were even used in Snow White, they mm. did perspective shots where they had a camera rig set up like top down and they had like lots of clear plates and they would 
have certain layers of foreground and backgrounds partially drawn on those plates. And so they could do these like real camera pans of zooming in or panning across and you would have Mm. that effect of, you know, different layers of the terrain moving back and forwards. I don't know. And that that looks really, really clean and nice. I don't know if that effect wouldn't work quite as well for those shots because they needed maybe more depth to the, the, the backgrounds getting closer towards them for that, yeah, for that perspective of a shot to work. Maybe, yeah. I mean, fucking My Neighbor Totoro came out the same year, so I'm kind of like... Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, right. As I'm thinking about it, I'm like, ah, there was plenty of stuff coming out doing you know wacky, wonderful shit that's probably aged a little, a yeah. little better. So maybe they didn't have the right kind of... They weren't able to emulate those type of techniques with the rigs that they set up. Or, mm. or maybe that type of rig wouldn't have worked for that one shot. Yeah, yeah. For me, I would prefer just like, just don't do that one perspective from that one angle if you can't pull it off because it stands out as like, it cuts to it like twice in that one sequence and then yeah. none of the rest of the movies like that at all. Yeah. So for like a 99%, 98%, everything passes and looks wonderful. I'd prefer just to like, just... Just, just know your limitation and don't do that one shot or something. Yeah, sure. Okay. Sarah! Hello! What do you want? <laughs> Nothing. Where are you going? I'm going to find my own kind. They're on the other side. I've looked all over here. You can't climb up the other side. Maybe you can't. <sighs> Wait! I'm going to the Great Valley. We could... Uh, help each other. A three horn uh, does not need help from a long neck. Something in the animation that I do really think works well and is impressive is when Sarah falls down uh, into like the underground under earth part and she finds mm. the sharp tooth there mm. and she's going to run up and like headbutt it and it's eye opens and it's like staring at her and then you can see the reflection of her in the eye Mm -hmm. that eyeball is so menacing yeah very cool uh and yeah that that reflection is really really impressive and and a neat thing where you go like fuck that looks like it was tough to do Mm. yeah and that like one shot that one uh the illustration of the eye that she's running towards that they've put like the reflection in like animated the reflection in looks like something from like a D manual like it, <laughs> yeah. it looks like truly spectacular and and fantastical really cool mm. i think like a lot of the um destruction of the environment and stuff like that looks pretty good like there's a couple of moments where uh part of the rock stands out as like not being as textured as the rest and then like yeah. a tail hits it and it crumbles and you go oh yeah right that was the part that wasn't like the uh, the complete the, the background, background. Yeah, it the, was the yeah. this but for a lot of it there uh, feet are like you know sinking into mud and stuff, making mm. tracks in the ground. Uh, Sarah's headbutting rocks left, right, and center, and they're like cracking and f- tipping over oh, dude, and stuff. And it looks that that bit at the start where uh, Littlefoot, uh, freshly hatched Littlefoot, is like burying itself in the fat folds on its mother's <laughs> back. Damn, that looks comfy. Yeah, very comfy. Some Looney Tunes style. Yeah, yeah, almost for. feed the kitty. Feed the kitty. It's absolutely feed the kitty. Oh my god! <laughs> and then when we get to like the the sludge and the lava and all that stuff. Oh yeah, the like the, the the tar and everything. Yeah, yeah, like they they obviously they go back and forwards a lot. Like they disagree with one another, and there's like characters are selfish. Characters are too proud to you know admit shit, so they're stubborn about it and, and whatnot. Yeah. But it feels. Uh, like it feels a little bit frustrating at parts because it can go back and forth like multiple times throughout the movie, but also like these are little fucking kid dinosaurs, so you you buy it as these kids haven't been taught these lessons, especially when they're not sure, yeah. they're not used to cooperating with other types of dinosaurs. Yeah, it's kind of established that like their their parents wouldn't be fraternizing yeah. with you know. Yeah. Long necks and such. Mm. So they're, you know, they're breaking new ground. Exactly. The small amount of levity that we do receive that I'm like, thank Christ, is uh, like when, when Ducky arrives on the scene. 
Yes, uh, I agree. But the real life story around the like the voice actress for Ducky. Oh, what's this? I'm oh, not you, aware. Have you not heard this? No, I've got no idea about ah, this. Ah, fuck. All right. Um, Cliff Notes version. Uh, unfortunately, her father, uh, her, 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 so Judith Barcy and her mother were killed in 1988 in a double murder-suicide committed by their, uh, her father. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. It's just fucking sad, like awful, heartbreaking stuff. And so, like, listening to her sounding so fucking sweet in yeah. this movie, like, it, it, it kind of, like, <laughs> I found that to be the most troubling thing on, on rewatch, you know, oh, far absolutely. more than stuff happening to the actual characters in the movie. It was just like, oh, poor little girl. Totally, because I remember her, like, cute voice and stuff being the, the you know, the most sort of comfortable and happy mm. moments of the movie, uh, especially when, you know, Littlefoot asks her if she wants to come along with him. And she's yeah. like so out of this world excited to, yeah, to actually yeah. she has to like stop herself and, and you know play it cool a bit more. Uh, and that's really sweet when he's when Littlefoot's been so freaking lonely and stuff. Mm. And like we've seen those little those little flyers with their cherries, uh, like you know getting fed. Uh, mm. They're fighting over the little cherry, and then the mum has a cherry for all of them, and they all waddle off happy. And there's that one little one that sees Littlefoot there. Being sad, and he offers him the cherry, and Littlefoot's yeah, just too depressed and sad to take it. Yeah, from from that sort of like little bit of kindness. So it's nice to then see after that Ducky sort of doing the same thing, you know, offering that like nice little bit of the the open hand sort of gesture, yeah. and he actually takes it this time. Is yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, it is sweet. And then we get uh, introduced to Petrie, who I think was probably my favorite. Yep, like mm-hmm. side character as a kid. I remember um, finding him pretty why. funny as well. Yeah, yeah. I think he just made me laugh. He's he, uh, like, I got like little wacky Robin Williamsy kind of vibes from when he like rolls up, when he rolls up the tree star and he does the little like, I'm going to guard it. And he like marches back and forwards with it. I'm getting like yeah. little like Robin Williamsy vibes. But I think this is way before like Aladdin. So. Yeah. And I mean, when was, um, what's the fucking movie? Fern Gully? The, the Bat Rap. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> that was like a similar. Fern Gully was like 92. Oh, okay. So this is like long before that. Yeah, yeah, wow. Are you just going to stay up there? Oh, yes. Well, you can't. Whoa. You're tearing my tree star. <gasps> oh, it is very special. Very. His mother gave it to him. Ooh, mother present. Very important. Oh, yes. Uh, I keep safe. Don't let nobody's touch. I think similar to how when I used to watch, when I'd watch The Iron Giant as a kid, I was just there for the the murder and mayhem. I wanted, I wanted, you know, Iron Giant going full sicko mode, guns blazing, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was probably the most excited by the every time the the sharp tooth was on screen. Yeah, as a kid, I was like, yes, and that's why my favorite <laughs> of the sequels was the second one and the I think fifth one because they focused on the, the sharp tooths were like uh, kind of far more involved in those stories. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I just, oh, T-Rex, dude, so cool. T-Rexes are cool. They're very cool. Like, I did, I always, like, I always loved the design of, like, the T-Rex and stuff because I can remember thinking that they were the coolest looking things, even though he scared the bejesus out of me. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why I I liked them because they were, you know, monsters, but, like, rendered in a way that I could, you know, stomach. Yeah, sure. And once I kind of you look at it long enough, you're not scared by it anymore, and you just get to you're just fascinated by it. Mm. Yeah, that that face burrowing through all of the like the thicket or whatever of all the the brambles and stuff, mm. and like Littlefoot getting stuck in the the vines is like yeah, really intense. The like the snarling and the snapping and stuff mm. that the the sharp tooth does. The red eye, oi! I like that they uh, they come together and and drop his ass off a cliff at the end. It's cool. Yeah, it's nice. Them like cooperating and stuff and going, we need to get rid of him for good. Uh, feels pretty good. Yeah. Coming up with a plan, executing. That was when I started to feel like the movie was feeling a little bit long in the tooth, but then I've like, I didn't remember it that well. And so then when uh, it pops up over the hill, literally just after. I was going to say, basically in, immediately. And then it's like, just immediately. It's oh, like, oh, Christ. Okay. Hey, there's the Great Valley. <laughs> and you're like, awesome, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny. You say long in the tooth, it's like 
It's an hour long. An it's, hour it's barely an hour. Yeah. It's a, it's an emotionally exhausting hour and nine <laughs> minutes for, for a kid to sit through, though. Everything up to for a kid to sit through sounds like how I would describe a session with a shrink. Um, or how my shrink would describe a session with me, maybe. Uh, then, yeah, yeah, we get the, the the final bit of, in hindsight, overt Jesus mumbo-jumbo, <laughs> the, the clouds and the rays of light. But isn't it just spectacular? It is the, spectacular. The, that artwork. Getting, like, yeah, revealed like that. Mm, very nice. It is, it is very nice. What do you think about, because I'm sort of torn, Right at the Dumb. end where it decides it's going to show us a bunch of flashbacks from the movie. Yeah, I don't know. Look, I didn't find it uh, particularly offensive or irritating or anything. Like, the music is really fucking great and yeah. I love that it, whenever a... It's, I think it's like, an eight, like a late 80s, early 90s or like 90s thing, that sound of a choir doing like... Oh, yeah, yeah. That kind of shit with like the 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 days of our lives, like Vaseline lens kind of thing. Uh, going through it all, going through some of like the really nice shots of them like laughing together and shit. I don't know. I like it. Uh, yeah, it's it, a- it perhaps it feels a little bit like they're padding for time. Maybe. Yeah, that's the thing. I'm a little bit torn on. Like, I don't find it like incredibly offensive or anything. I just find it weird because. To start with and seeing those flashbacks of, like, when he's a little baby in the egg, you're like, yeah, right. And then it, like, cuts through a couple of bit moments. <laughs> keeps going. You're and like, oh. then it shows him standing at the hill seeing the Great Valley again. And it was like, that was 30 <laughs> seconds ago. That's <laughs> yeah, so okay. recent. Yeah, that is a little, a little, a little confusing. Yeah, I'll admit that. I do like the I like the last image that they end on of them on the hill uh, looking up and shit. They look, they look like... Uh, What's that fucking <laughs> the image of the soldiers planting the flag? Oh, yeah, Iwo Jima. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's cute. Uh, yeah, I like um, I like that, uh, you know, Ducky finds her family and then they decide on the spot that they're just happy to adopt Spike and Spike, Spike gets to be this, like, adopted big mouth. That's sweet. Yeah, honorary big mouth. Yeah. I feel like that's what we should call guests on this podcast. <laughs> I'm sort of like it was. It was a good thing to come back to and and rewatch because it's been so long. Like I said, but I don't think like this is like a movie for kids. Yeah, and I don't find much. Like I'm not going to get much out of it as like revisiting this again as an adult too much. No, maybe no, it's, in another it was a really years. Sure, it was a really fond trip down memory lane that, I, yeah, like you say, I may I may take again um, at some point, but I won't go back to it expecting to get anything out of it as an adult. I think mm. you get what you get out of it as a kid, and that's all you're probably ever going to get out of it. Really, yeah. uh, every subsequent viewing is just going to be uh, nostalgic. Mm. Yeah, and that's fine. But, you know, who's to say maybe if we watched all 14 movies and all 26 <laughs> accompanying episodes, maybe there would be something more to get out of it. Yeah, yeah, true. That's true. I'm surprised they haven't gone into, like, prequel ter- territory for it yet. Instead of they're, they're going forward so far, I'm like, gee whiz, they made 14 of these. When are they all going to get wiped out by, like, a big media or something? <laughs> but you can always go backwards. That's true. Well, thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did and you'd like to support the podcast, we always say that it's it's very helpful to share the podcast to a a friend or a loved one via word yeah. of mouth. Yeah, surely there are people out there who who share our like if you're able to share it through, you know, like you know, omnipotent ray of light coming from the sky, uh, by all means. But you know, if you're limited to you know just talking to your mates, then tell them mm. that way. But if you've got the choir. And the ray of light, yeah. and it's like, Ooh! and it's like, <laughs> listen to this week's episode of Rose Tinted Review. There's this podcast. I I think you'd maybe get a kick out of it. Hey, you down there? Yes, you in the hat. <laughs> You'll like this podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast monetarily, we have a Patreon over at patreon.com forward slash Rose Tinted Review, where for starting at three dollars a month, you get access to a whole. Library of extra content. A buttload. Near on two years of backlog content, so there's a lot lot to get from that. Links to all of our social medias are in the episode description where you can reach out and let us know your answer to 
this episode's question. I want to I want to poll people on were you traumatized by this movie like I was or or is Michael Babby? Yeah, am I a Babby or were you traumatized? And did you spend more time with the sequels? That's what I want to know. Which was your favorite sequel? Which one was your favorite song? Were you a little cartoon snob like me and went, "No, the sequels are shit." I still remember I, I think I think I've got like two songs from the fifth movie that still like live in my head. <laughs> no joke. Can't get them out of there. I can't get them out of there. Oh, I've tried. <laughs> next week, Connor, where do you want to, what memory lane do you want to walk down? All right, next week I want to go back and revisit a movie that I watched when it came out initially on DVD. I'm not sure I got all I could have gotten out of this movie as a kid. I think a lot of it probably would have flown over my head. Fucking almost absolutely. Uh, the 2006, uh, I guess, drama film, uh, This Is England. This Is England. I don't yes. think I know what that is at all. Well, you're gonna. And you're gonna too. Uh, like we recommend, you should watch the episode. You should watch the film before listening to next week's episode to get the fullest amount of context. That's right. And if you are, if you are clicking randomly, blindly, with your eyes closed on episodes, try and navigate your way to Netflix <laughs> and find the movie. <laughs> and join us next time when we find out if our hindsight is truly 2020 or if we've just been wearing rose-tinted glasses. Enough tree stars to feast on forever. And grazing upon them, their families. 